arms and legs. The second stroke left half of Nora paralysed and all of her mute. Most nurses, some doctors even, regard her as mentally challenged. She's far from that. I'm sure that in her mind all words ring clear, but they roll out disjoined, like baby talk. Sometimes I wish she'd keep the jabber to herself. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by the way the nurses look at her, or me. It's obvious by now she won't miraculously learn to speak again. That part of her brain is ruined, the fuse is blown. So why can't she keep quiet? She manages to say my name and Buriana's, and if I do my best to vex her, sometimes she manages a curse. The rest is babble. She babbles as I roll her back to our room, or, if the day allows it, out in the garden, where we walk in circles. I like the garden only when the flowers bloom. All other times the earth is damp and black, and I cannot resist the ugly thoughts. When we're tired we sit down on a bench and fall asleep, shoulder against shoulder, with the sun upon our faces, and to anyone looking I'm sure we are a lovely sight. Then lunch. Then the siesta. Our daughter comes to visit once a week, and sometimes she brings our grandson along— but lately, with all the trouble she's had at home, she visits daily. She is awful company, my daughter. We leave little Pavel with his grandma, so she won't get upset, and in the garden Buriana talks of how her husband is chasing after another woman. Dear Buriana, I too might get upset. But here I sit on the bench and listen, because I am your father— I have no way of helping, no word of sensible advice. Hang in there, fighter, you'll be all right. Words mean so little, and I'm too worn out for deeds. I am asleep, and disconnected from what has been or is. Then I'm awake. It seems that someone has dropped a tray outside. The wind rattles the gutters, the trees creak, and Nora breathes too loudly. I close my eyes. But what if someone drops another tray? What if Nora coughs or snores? I lie anticipating sounds that might never sound, yet all the same keep me awake. It thunders over the mountain. I put on my robe and sit by the window in Nora's wheelchair. I switch on the small radio. Quiet music pours out of the speaker, and I listen in the blue of the night until a voice comes up to read the late-night news. The Communist Party is great again. More jobs for the people, less poverty. Our magnificent Bulgarian wrestlers have earned us more gold. Good night, comrades. Be safe in your sleep. Dear God, I won't be safe. There is no sleep. And I am so very tired of the comrades. Their all-encompassing belief in bright future days that somehow I've started to suspect might never come. I turn the dial until I find the muffled sound of a foreign station. Romanian, it seems, then Greek, then British. The voices crackle and buzz because the party is distorting the transmissions, but at least at night the voices are strong enough to hear. I listen to the English, and all the words sound like a single long word to me, a word devoid of history and meaning, completely free. At night the air is thicker, and one foreign sound drags after itself another, and they converge into a river, which flows freely from land to land. I travel with this river, but even so, 
How can I resist the current of my worries? I think of Buriana. How will she pay the bills, divorced and with a little child? How will Parvil grow up, a man without a father? And then my eyes seek Nora, who snores lightly on her back. I watch her face, her wrinkled skin, her crooked lips, and I can't help but think that she is pretty still. A man ought to be able to undress his wife from all the years until she lies before him naked in youth again, which makes me wonder if she ever lay naked for that other man, the one who wrote the letters, if he cupped her left breast in his palm. But it is Nora's breast, and wasn't he a man? Of course he cupped it. I reach for the jewellery box and prize the bottom open, I take the little notebook and weigh it in my palm. Someone has scribbled on the cover. Dear Miss...